In today's show, I'm speaking to Carrie Rose, the CEO and co-founder of Rise at Seven, a rapidly growing agency that I've created a lot of buzz online over the past year or so. I was tempted to say longer than a year, but they really are in their infancy and have been growing at a rapid rate and generating a lot of attention. And a huge part of that has been the successful creative campaigns they've been responsible for. And one that has really stood out to me and I know it has stood out to a lot of other people in the digital marketing industry is Santone, where they investigated the color of the different beaches around the UK, but also tied that in with a lovely visual metaphor of the idea of going searching for the perfect paint color for your house. And as part of that, they had many different executions to this campaign, one of which was actually creating pots of paint like you would get from the DIY store with the different colors of the beaches. They even sent color swatches to journalists. And this was all for a client that wanted to own the idea of staycations in the UK. We also speak about what Carrie describes as her baby, which was our very first successful campaign or one of our first most successful campaigns, which was London Under the Microscope, where they got students to collect the different bacterias from the London Underground and London taxi cabs and Ubers, etc. And we speak about one more campaign and also the different aspects and challenges of growing a successful creative team so rapidly. To be honest, if you're in the world of digital PR, Carrie barely needs any introduction. She has really taken the online world by storm over the past year or so. And that has largely been down to the successful creative campaign she's been, her and her team have been involved in. And it was great to catch up with her and find out exactly how she'd come up with some of these successful ideas, particularly Santone was one that I was, I'd been intrigued by and really wanted to get the backstory to. All right. As always, there are show notes over in contenthubble.com slash podcast. I really do put quite a bit of time into these. There's lots of links and visuals that will give you extra context to the conversation. All right. That's more than enough from me. Let's get on with the show. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to chat to you. It looks like things are going crazy well for you. I think the one I want to dive into straight away is Santone. That campaign stood out to me for a bunch of reasons, but I'll get into I'll get into that shortly. But I'd love to hear from you. Like, where did that idea come from? How did that? How did you end up with that? Yeah, sure. So. I actually had the Santone campaign idea over a year ago and I started, it wasn't allocated to anybody. So I started collecting sand when I was away on holidays and um, around the UK. Like, so I was like, went to Cornwall and I'd collect a sample of sand. I think it's illegal to do, by the way. Um, so you're meant to put it back. But I just created like a little tub so then I could get the colours. And I thought one day I'm going to have a travel client that I could give this to. Um, so I just kind of came up with the idea originally um, because I was looking at where to go myself on holiday around the UK. I think I'd never really explored the UK um, that much. And I wanted to go to Cornwall and I was like, you know, where are the really white beaches that you see on Instagram or Facebook? Like, where are they in Cornwall? And then my mum was like, oh, have you seen some of the beaches up in Scotland or Dorset? And she listed a few others. And I thought, you know, there's a campaign in here around the whitest beaches all the way through the UK, all the way down to how murky brown Blackpool is or 
what's the other one? Skegness, etc. So I was like, okay, there, there's a campaign I do in this. So I just started exploring it myself. And then Park Dean Resorts came to us and I thought, you're the one. Park Dean Resorts are a bit like Haven Butlins kind of brand where they do UK holiday breaks. And we pitched the idea to them as a kind of PR campaign. And then I just said, I just want to go bigger. There's so much more we could do with this. So we did. Yeah, there's a few extra bits to the campaign. I'm forgetting what they all are now. I guess we should just specify, like, what was the campaign? Because not everyone will know, obviously. It was taking a sample of sand of every UK beach and ranking it all the way from the whitest to the darkest sands. We also gathered um, textures. So obviously some of the beaches around the UK are not sand, it's like pebbles. So we just ranked them in kind of like a colour chart tying it with Pantone so Pantone have their specific colours and we said okay which ones match these Pantones um, the closest um, and ranked them beautiful um, did the, yeah and you called it Santone to tie in with that like where did that connection come from did that just spring to mind yeah it was a spring to mind we have a copy guy who um, used to work in the advertising field um, and he said you, you need to call this Santone and I was like oh perfect um, it was the perfect angle I guess it kind of touched on copyright when it comes to Pantone, which I might talk about soon because, yeah, we got an email from them and you'll see we changed it. Um, if you refresh the page at the minute, we've changed it slightly and we've got away with it. Um, so that's another interesting topic to talk about, I guess. Yeah, with a lawyer <laughs> present. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then there was a, you said there's a few other elements to the campaign and this is where it really stood out to me. So what else was there again? What did you do? Sure. So we did everything from Instagram filters of, you know, what is your next beach destination? We did um, billboards around um, Cornwall. We did, if you go to like a B&Q and you get like a colour flip chart for your, like your paint, we did a colour flip chart of Pantone but Santone. So it had all of the colours of the white beaches. We did postcards. And then we decided to actually create the paint. So we took the colour of the murky Cleforbs. I think it was like a grey sand colour. And then we took the whitest sand as well from, I think it was St. Ives. And we created the actual paints of them, just like Pantone would do. They cost us like £2.80 to create. So I was like, Jesus, we just designed the labels, got them printed, created them with a little paint manufacturer. And we sent those paint tins to press as a launch. So, yeah, we, we did everything from kind of social ads all to tie in with this large kind of UK travel piece to encourage staycations, really. Beautiful. I remember looking at the, the tins of sand going, oh, my God, this must have been such an expensive campaign. And then thinking in my head, I was like, wait a minute, you can go and get paint made in B&Q so like it might not be yeah that's exactly it I think what I wanted to do is you know when you look at big advertising agencies them doing these massive brand campaigns they probably have a million pound budget we didn't have a million pound budget but I was thinking as a digital agency we can do all this and we can turn it around fast we actually turned that campaign around in two weeks most of it was just designed you take one concept and you repackage it into so many small micro content that's what we like to call it micro content um how else can we take this campaign and create other things out of that and it, it weren't expensive at all and i think that's that's the magic of it really why did you go with billboards? What were you trying to do there? Yeah, sure. So this is something that I invested in at Rise at Seven, as in it was a bit of a project for me. I have been doing some analysis, some thinking, some research into how the customer behaves. And I think I did this typical user journey of, you know, you do a brand campaign or a PR campaign, then you do some content on your website and then you get a sale. 
that's what people think that happened. You know, people think that when you do link building, you get sales and, and that's how it works. But it doesn't. It's not a typical user journey. I was thinking, what is it? Actually, a user engages with a brand and then they go elsewhere. They they see the brand through paid advertising. They look, they research around where to go on holiday in the UK. There's so many touch points that a user sees a brand and then they end up in a sale. And that sale could take three months. So I think what I wanted to do is test out, okay, if I created multiple touch points out of home, um, through paid, through PR, link building, and see where does my customers come from and how, what is the impact of this? So it was something I invested in. I took some budget from Rise at Seven and said, listen, I will put money behind this because it is a research project for me to see if it works. Um, and it did. It, the results have been insane. Nice, nice. And the, the little flip book with the colors and the, the paints, I love that you did all that. And it kind of all <laughs> ties together nicely. It ties in with colors. And mm-hmm. But the I was curious that like you possibly could have been successful just with the original yeah. campaign without all those touch points. So were you tempted at all to kind of, oh, let's just release this? Or what made you decide to go with all the extra elements? Yeah, I think the extra elements was more of, I wanted, what I've learned, I guess, is that extra hype, the hype of journalists or the hype of social media just adds so much more value. So if I can create hype through so many other things and it helps me deliver the end result of links, that's what it was. Um, so those pots of paint and the flip books, they got sent to national press. So every national journalist um, that covered travel, UK travel, received that in a pack. We also sent these pots of paints to influencers as well. So they started to get involved with the campaign. It just created hype around it that helped amplify. That's one thing that we, we often forget that social media helps you get links. Um, so we thought, okay, how do we create that hype on social media? I think my thread about it got like, I can't remember off the top of my head, maybe 2,000 likes or something. So just that alone helped push it further. And then we got journalists contact us, like, oh, we saw that campaign, can I cover it? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> so it, it just helps um, make it bigger, basically. One of the things I really liked about it was people really care about the colour of beaches, right? I've actually seen some campaigns previously about like the colour of... I don't want to be too critical of other people's stuff, but like, you know, it'd be like the color of a city. And I'm like, one, I'm like, that's not very credible. A city is going to change. Which part of the city? Time of year. Yeah, exactly. Time of year. Was it sunset? It's just that I I don't care. I don't really get it. Except maybe if it's like a particular city that's known for being colorful or the colors of Oban where they're all painted different colors, maybe. But people really care about the color of beaches. You know, they care about these golden sands or white sands. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I just, it was so, it was such a relevant format for the thing. And then, you know, tying in with things that people already do with colors, like the paint and the, you know, your flip book there. And also like super relevant to it because this company wanted to own Staycation, right? Absolutely. So in March, obviously COVID hit and they came, we actually was, I was scared. I was scared for the business. I was thinking, oh no, they're they're a big client of ours. I thought in the travel space, they're going to pull budgets. And we thought, oh no, what if we lose them? And they actually kind of sent us a long email and it was a brief and it was called Project Boom. And their Project Boom was, we're not pulling the budget. Actually, we think that we kind of expected, we didn't expect this to last as long as it did, but they said post lockdown, we want to be dominating staycations. How do you do that? So if you google uk holidays or if you google kind of 
um, I don't know, lodges with hot tubs and things like that. They want it to be ranking, but also they want it from a brand perspective to be everywhere. So this project boom was, we're keeping the budgets the same, just go all in and, and get behind us. So um, it was a nice project to be behind, but it was the perfect timing to launch it, mainly because staycations was on the rise. People couldn't go abroad and they wanted to know where to go in the UK, where is the most beautiful places. Um, it was the most perfect timing as well. So it was strategic in the way that I held the campaign back for the right time to be honest um it was an idea i had over a year ago so i did hold it for the right time yeah i think one thing as well i, I quite like about it is obviously i kind of work in seo and i've done link building and i create yeah. content and the name keeps changing for what we do and a lot of people <laughs> like yourself calling it digital pr now but i don't know if what i do is always digital pr but i think link building can be digital pr but is it yeah. always i'm curious to get your thoughts on it but that was pr and more maybe really. yeah yeah, I've, I've been thinking this recently, and I think especially when it comes to the structure of my business. So we have the digital PR team, we have a creative team, and they're like, so what's the difference between those? So creative are coming up with their own ideas, and so are digital PR, and then what? But what's the result? What is the KPI? I think from my perspective, I've always loved your outtake on content marketing. I think con digital PR, I think, is a part of content marketing. So I would see... The asset that we created, which shown the beaches on the kind of like color scale, which became a linkable asset, I would see that as digital PR. So that's my story. That's my asset to get links. And then other content to then hype that up or generate engagement or gener generate traffic. So I think this was, a, in my eyes, a content marketing campaign with a digital PR aspect, a social aspect, etc. Incredible, incredible. Well, you may, we were chatting just before we came on. You mentioned the team there and you were chatting just before we came on about like yeah. you're going through rapid growth and you're having to train <laughs> the team. How do you train your team in coming up with ideas? To, <laughs> yeah, That's the hardest part. Um, I think there's a couple of ways that we've been doing it. We have um, certain people in the business that I guess have it more of a strength in terms of ideation. I guess everybody does, every agency does. Um, and we have said to them, you need to be keeping all of your staff up to date I think having inspiration constantly in our inbox so we have a slack channel which is just called campaigns and every time we see a campaign it goes straight into the slack channel everybody's aware what competitors are doing and what the industry is doing what's changing we look at not only the SEO industry but we look at um, advertising creative like I love the sort of stuff that Ikea does McDonald's we, we look at those brands and take inspiration from them so I think the best thing that we do to keep the um, ideas fresh is is just inspiration so it around constantly but I guess myself I spend a lot of time perfecting people's ideas and going you know this wouldn't work because of this and making sure there's multiple hooks etc but yeah I think that's the hardest part um, of running any agency is keeping the ideas going and the training but that's something I definitely I've been speaking to you about and I know I need to get you in post-covid <laughs> <laughs> no worries no worries yeah the constant inspiration uh, that I think has been the biggest thing I've done and like I'm super obsessive about it like I if I find a site I like every now and then I'll sit down and make sure I've seen everything like I have I one weekend sat down and made sure I had been through every single link that digital PR examples has posted yeah every single link that content curated has posted I've done this for numerous data visualization blogs and like mm -hmm. sometimes it's a bit tedious right <laughs> but like it's all going in there yeah you know and it's just You'll, you'll one day kind of, you'll be, like yesterday, we were talking about a campaign and um, it was to do with what data certain apps have on you. So like what 
what data has Facebook got on me, etc. And we we're doing this big piece of research. I said, you know what? I've seen something like this before, and I'm sure it was like four years ago, and it was just an infographic, but it got like 250 links, and I knew I had it somewhere. So what I have is a, a bookmark on my on my laptop, and every good campaign that I think is good for my point of view, I drop the URL straight in. I must have about mm. 450 in there at the minute, and so I just quickly went into the bookmarks folder, scrolled until I found it, and then I, it was there, and it was a four year old campaign, but I think keeping a bank of things that you love and that are variant as well. So kind of like whether that's data or whether it's travel or whether it's fashion or whatever, it it helps me for sure. And it just kind of helps spur ideas, but also know what angles work. That we looked at all the media coverage that that piece got four years ago and took the headline and was like that headline mm. worked then, so it surely could work now. So yeah, I think it is important to be kind of obsessive because I'm obsessive 100. That's my weakness but strength as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's quite a lot you learn through this process. It's not just formats, right? You're like you say, you're learning angles, you're learning common themes and topics that just continually resonate. Maybe even data sets, like I know the guys at Verve saw that saw pieces about analyzing movie scripts and they were like, that's cool. Maybe we can do something with that. I think as well, the fact that you said pieces that you love, I think that's really important and something that I try to instill in people. And also the fact that, you know, your Beaches piece came from the fact that you were interested in this thing. You know, you're connecting with the topic there and then you're seeing these other campaigns and you're keeping the ones that you connect with. And mm-hmm. I think then you're just making connections. Part of it is making connections between them. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes I see people, they might do research, and they're, but they're just kind of going through the motions. They're maybe not really connecting with the topic and thinking about what's interesting. And maybe they collect this swipe file of stuff, but maybe they're not really that into it. They're just kind of doing it. And I think there's a real difference that you've got to get into it. 100%. I actually allocate certain clients' campaigns to certain people in the business. So there was um, a campaign that was running for a client of ours a couple of weeks ago. And I could see it was good work. It was a good campaign. But the person, one of it, they weren't interested in that topic. They were. I think it was to do with um, Xbox. So I was like, I know you're not interested in Xbox. <laughs> um, they, they, they're not a gamer, you know, they're more into fashion or whatever. So straight away, I got one of our gamers on it. They're passionate about it, but they could know the audience. But also it, that passion sees through. Passion can see a crap idea into something amazing. You you can see make something work through that. So we strategically do that. We, we find who is going to be passionate about this client or specific campaign. And we move things around all the time based on that. Yeah, I mean, it's no coincidence that some of my biggest pieces are about music. That was pretty, pretty, pretty easy going. But actually, so that's an interesting point. Like you, you've hand campaigns to people that like will be passionate about it. But have you ever had to come up with stuff that you weren't passionate about? Oh, absolutely. I've done campaigns for vaping. Oh, God. I, and even like sports. But and I think what I do is I just most of my ideas are campaign ideas that I identify with normally. I usually kind of experience something or it's a small thought while I'm driving and then a campaign idea comes out of it. It's always something that kind of I identify with or is relevant to my life, most of my mm. ideas. And I find that with other people as well. One guy came up with a campaign idea yesterday and he was like, oh, um, he's a massive PlayStation fan. And he said, oh, did you know about PlayStation memory? It gets taken up by this. And then there was an idea for it because his, his memory is blocked up. So he came up with that idea out of his own experience which is important. So what do you do in those occasions where it's not one of your things though? How do you get into it? I think for me, what I usually do is take concepts or ways of thinking from things I am passionate about and apply it to that 
and um, whether that's an industry etc I think that's a it's a tough question I think for me because I, I I'm, I'm passionate about a trip to Asda I'm, I'm a bit mad in that sense but I think mainly it's just getting the team involved from day one and being together as a team um, that's what helps drive it really but I think for me most of the time I have a bit of a rule here which is quite important um, I'm like do you believe in that campaign idea sometimes I feel people like you know like when they're running a campaign it's a bit of a slog like there's mm. loads of data there's loads of research and I'm like are you tired of this I can see you're tired of this it means it's not good you're not enjoying mm. this so I just say scrap it it's not good enough it's not worth the effort campaigns need to feel simple easy and enjoyable so I'm like it's not a good idea let's get rid of it and start again so I, I think having that belief of from the beginning is important and if they don't have it I just I just cut it I usually just say drop it let's come up with a new one that's love I love that I love that I think a lot of people aren't bold enough to do that you know they're no, halfway yeah. down the line I mean I've made that mistake I've been halfway through it and we we continue and then afterwards you're like Oh you know, yeah, I, I actually I was I was at, I was rationalizing it about why it was good, but actually I didn't feel it. Yeah, and I think you know obviously like an idea has got to move. We've got to move people, right? And it's got to start by moving one person. You. And if it's not you, you better find someone else that it does. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, like I mean, I if it's an area I'm not that interested in, one thing I do is. I try to so I try to research and get into the actual conversations, and I'm researching maybe with the idea of not what's interesting to me, but what are people interested in to see if I can begin to. It's almost like trying to look at it through their eyes, begin to understand. Like an example I use a lot is I, I had to research around health and safety officers, <laughs> and you know, like pretty hard to connect with. But actually, I got into these like private groups on LinkedIn, and you could hear them. Their frustration because they're like oh, everybody thinks we're like the fun police but you know we're yeah. actually trying to save lives and save yeah. injuries and I know it's boring but like if you don't let us do our job people will get hurt and I'd rather less people got hurt and you I began to get in touch with the emotion of it I'm not going to say I cracked that campaign <laughs> but I began to feel a bit of where they were coming from yeah I 100% um, know what you mean so a good example that actually you've just made me think about last year I worked with a health and safety training client so they did everything from kind of like CPR and all that sort of stuff not the most sexiest accounts but for me to understand what content is good and what stories are going to be engaged with I, I looked at like okay who are your audience a lot of their audience, when they did um, a specific training to parents, so it was around um, safety of young children and all that sort of stuff and, and nurses, etc. And so I just spoke to my sister. My sister's biggest fear, mostly, is she's got two young babies, a little girl and a little boy. And her biggest fear is choking. So she's always cutting up the foods. She's always making sure that it's like um, nothing hard goes in their throat, etc. It happens quite a lot. And I think I... I didn't identify because I don't have children, but I, I got emotionally attached to that kind of hook. Um, and that's where I did a campaign around. So I did a, a data-led report around children's safety and the deadliest foods for choking and items and stuff. So I didn't realize that balloons, latex balloons, often get choked on by children. And, and obviously with it being latex, it's dangerous. So that's something that then become a data-led story for me. And it worked really well. I think it got like 96 links overall from national publications and regionals as well. But yeah, it, it's going and understanding the audience and going, okay, what is it that your fear is or um, what do you enjoy or what are you interested in? And then I kind of got emotionally attached to that way as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, 
I was really fortunate enough early on when I was trying to figure this stuff out to meet a really good advertising strategist. I mean, like she was a genius. She is like one of the best in the world. And I was very fortunate. I was just picking her brains, getting her to show me all their creative decks and stuff. It's amazing. But she was telling me there's basically four criteria of what makes a good advertising strategist. And these are reasonably well published. I can't remember all four, but the two that really stuck in my mind was that they were empathetic and that they were curious. Now, this was extremely true of her. Like, I couldn't walk down the street without her stopping to look at everything. I'm like, we're trying to get somewhere. And she was just, <laughs> well, like, she would look everywhere. And she's just drawn to everything. And I'm a bit like that when I'm online and stuff. And then empathy. Like, she's in, you know, being sort of a little bit more traditional advertising, they're in loads of focus groups. Yeah. And she gets to the point where she's in tears because of the stories she's hearing, like, whatever it is, young mothers telling and yeah. that's how you, that's another way that you can connect with it but you've got to connect somehow yeah absolutely i think that emotion as well is i used to i remember maybe 3 or 4 years ago i went to a conference and somebody from i think it was ee was on stage and they were talking about emotional marketing and i used to think it was a load of shit I honestly thought, I used to think, oh yeah, you're just making someone laugh and that's why it's good. Kind of, I just used to think it was a fluffy way of explaining, you know, a good advert. But then I realized, okay, if I, if I digest the campaigns that I've done, the emotions that it actually ticked and that engaged with, it, it does work. And most mm. of, I, I found that the best performing campaigns for me ticked that emotion of either disgust or kind of mm. like shock something like that especially now that I guess press needs that clickbaity headline so shock is usually a, a big thing right now but humor as well um yeah I, I kind of did a thread on Twitter about it but those emotions are definitely important and it, it is real yeah I mean I think like a good idea has to grab your curiosity right and yeah. it has to kind of move you in some way and I think conversely this is just an idea I've been kicking around recently if you yourself aren't generally curious and are yeah. generally kind of engaged, you don't engage with content and engage with the topic, then I don't know how you're going to make something that's curious and engaging if you're not curious and engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something that I kind of spot in, in job interviews, you know, when mm. I'm hiring staff. So mm. usually when I say at the end of the interview, have you got any questions for us? And if they say, oh, no, everything's good. I'm like, you're not curious, especially in a business like ours that's grown at an extreme rate in the last 12 months. Surely you've got questions. Surely you've got, you want to mm. know about our campaigns. How does it work? What the, does the team look like? So I think that curiosity, I love people who are curious. Like well, there's a guy in my team who's a, a videographer. He's constantly asking questions to the SEO team. I'm like, you love it, don't you? You don't know anything about SEO, but he wants to know. And I love that curiosity in, in someone. It's a nice trait. You were talking about when your, your team are coming up with ideas and you're kind of giving feedback on, on them. What, I mean, what do you look for in a good idea? What are some of, what are the Carrie Rose criteria to getting a <laughs> campaign out there? Interesting question. Do you know what? Somebody asked me this on a pitch recently and said, you know, what is, what is it that makes a good idea? And I often think, there isn't one. I think if we knew what there was, if there was a checklist, we'd all be minted. We'd all be rich. And I think they'd all, we'd all be pushing successful campaigns. And sometimes it's a gut feeling. Sometimes I just look at something and go, in my gut, that won't work um, or it will. But I think overall, what I usually look for is number one, will it identify with more than just one person? So a mass of people, will mass people identify with this story? And whether that's because it's something that everybody loves, like Harry Potter, or is it because, you know, it's something that's constantly talked about that you see in press? 
I think identifying as a mass is, is something that I firstly look for. Um, or is it too niche? Sometimes niche isn't a problem. Niche is actually quite good sometimes in some um, areas when it comes to tech, maybe. But it could limit you from, from a, a results point of view. But I think that's one of the biggest things I look for. Mm. You mentioned before something about multiple hooks. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so especially when it comes to kind of data-led campaigns, what what I hate people doing or when it comes to campaigns is they, they have their idea, they have their story and their headline, and that's all they have. I'm like, okay, if that doesn't work, what are you going to do? And they'll go, uh, well, that's my only hook. So I'm like, create multiple angles out of it. So it could even be extra data that you add to it. It could be an extra angle, whether that's on social. So I think that multiple hooks is important. I remember... I did a campaign, which you know about, about five years ago, the Stavely Head London Under the Microscope. It was a campaign that looked at bacterias on the tube lines. And then we looked at public transport overall, from buses to Ubers. And I created multiple hooks from that. So we looked at transport. We did the tube lines. So, But that weren't it. We also did um, the, the swabbing was from students. So we went to student press around this study created by students. Um, we went to health press. We went to kind of deadly bacteria um, angles and things like that. So there was multiple ways for us to get links rather than just kind of the one, if that makes sense. So yeah, multiple angles is it helps save a campaign if it doesn't work in the first instance, basically. Yeah, well, let's dig into that story a little bit more because I remember you telling me that this was your baby. This idea <laughs> was your baby was the phrase you used multiple times last time we spoke about it. Why is that? Was this one of the, your first big successes or what is it about this one? Yeah, it was my big success. So I worked at Brandy 3 at the time and I was an exec. I... I went in and pitched to this client myself and I remember going in and I, I said, oh, I, I have this idea to my boss at the time. And there was like, that won't work. I remember thinking, oh, I think it will. And there was like, they actually said the client was, I guess, quite small. They were taxi insurance. There weren't the likes of Go Compare or anything like that. So there was a small insurance brand. And I think my thinking appeared too big for them. And I was like, no, we can do this. And there was like, you know, it, it looks like it's going to cost a lot of money. I was like, no, I've looked into it. It's going to be okay. Anyway, I kind of not went behind their back, but I, I went in balls, balls in and pitched it anyway. And I won it. So I think for me, I needed then from then to prove that, oh, shit, you know, I've got this now. I need to prove it works. So that's what I mean by it was my baby. And then it was the first campaign that I went in and had the had the brave to, well, I had the courage to go in and do that from the start, but see it through as well. So I ran it from start to end from gaining, getting access into the universities to do the swabbing, to going down to London, to getting into the tubes. I did all of that kind of like myself. So I think because I was so heavily involved, I was emotionally attached to it. And I was like, that's my baby. And the fact that it just, hit off it got on bbc itv you name it. it it was my baby it was my i guess a lot of people in the industry saw it as well so i remember thinking yes that was me <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah actually you've obviously got a little bit of a knack for doing things that might i mean i thought samtone looked really expensive right i and then i did begin to think like maybe it's not though and 
not so I'm not to say that you you don't charge a good fee and and, and well <laughs> deserve it but um yeah like that I don't know how to phrase that but you've obviously got a knack for maybe just being prepared to go a bit further and put in a bit of the the grunt work the effort to make these bigger campaigns absolutely so Ken Wright my business partner he said that to me too he said you you out of anybody have got that where you can take something small and you'll make it massive and it doesn't cost a lot of money but it's just a bigger way of thinking and that's what I try to encourage encourage in my staff as well is a bigger way of thinking of how else can you do that and not only because we care about results but mostly these campaigns that have that bit more of effort from behind it makes my clients happy so my client um at Park Dean he went home and shown his wife he went home and said and he shared it on his Facebook and he was proud that I, we, we as an agency put something behind of it, but it was bigger than just an infographic. It was bigger than just something that was on their website. They was proud of to, to show it. And I think that from an agency point of view, to give them something to show off to their boss, to show off to their parents, to show off to their wife, it, it's more than money can buy, if that makes sense. So we didn't put, we put some money behind it as an agency, not a lot of money. Somebody actually came to us recently and said, how much did that actually cost? It weren't that much. It honestly weren't. So yeah, it's more of a, just pushing it further thinking bigger mm. yeah I was asked by someone recently how can we do a campaign how can we do campaigns that other people can't do yes. right so you know like we come up with a campaign I'm not going to say what theirs were but you know yourself you see these formats that as soon as yeah. someone does it everyone's doing it and one of the things I said to them is like as, as soon as someone's done it then yeah, they can copy it because you've taken the risk and now they know it works. Yeah. But so I think the difference isn't doing what people can't unless you happen to have miraculous data that they don't have access to. But it's like doing what they won't. And you're obviously like, that's obviously a big part of what you do. 100%. So we had a bit of a giggle this morning because um, a very popular campaign we did a couple of months ago, I'll not name it, just because someone's done something yesterday, but extremely similar. And it's nice. It's flattering because I love the fact that we, we have the um, courage to do something different. And then we see the industry copying, which is amazing. I actually love that. I love to see people kind of learning and seeing what works, etc. But I think, um, yeah, there's a difference between um doing something different but braving to do something that nobody else would do that's that's what we put ourselves in somebody said that they was like how are you getting clients to sign this off the way we're getting clients to sign it off is because from our marketing we've shown we'll do out we'll do anything we've we've put we've put sex toys in easter eggs we've done we've done all sorts really um so much that brands come to us for that so we have you know big brands like Odeon or big brands like Game that they're like we've seen what you do on social we want more of that we want part of that we want to be like kind of McDonald's Burger King the way that they like hit off each other building that brand so they want to be different and they want to be cheeky so luckily it's not something we have to sell in they want it now so that helps from our marketing as in we're the agency that we're brave to do it and we will push boundaries some clients come to us and I'm like we will challenge you we will give you ideas that the legal team might raise brows um, but I was like if you want that then we're the agency for you if you don't we're not for you we have that strict policy nice yeah there's a lot there's a lot to be said for pre-framing stuff with clients like tell them up front how this is going to go and how you work because if you don't then you end up having to have that discussion after yeah. it after you've presented the idea they've made their mind up and then it's really hard you're on the back foot but if you pre-frame it all and go this is how it's going to be then I think you've got like a much better chance of them accepting it 
Absolutely. And I think because of the, the, we've done all sorts from really crazy things, but also safe things, but big things. And I think what people come to us for is they don't know what to expect. So they'll go, come on, we want a rise at seven idea. So we'll give them something or we'll go away and think about something. They don't know what, whether it's going to be crazy or whether it's going to be just out there. But the fact that they're coming to us because they want it just makes our life so much easier. So I don't know if this question this question will resonate or not. You could just ignore it if it doesn't. But I'm curious, like when you're like coming up with ideas and when you yeah. maybe you see ins- inspiration or you, you find something that's interesting, like the sand or whatever, um, what sort of questions are you asking yourself? Does that ring any bells or is that a weird question? Um... Like I've sort of asked myself, like what, what else do I want to know here? Like what else could I do with this? What haven't they done? There's little questions that sort of drive me when I see something, but maybe that's not the way you think. Yeah, it's not necessarily the way I think, but I think something, I guess one thing that does go through my mind is, has this done before and been done before? And I'm not the type to go, oh, it's been done before, so we can't do this. If it's done, been done before, how can I do it better? I know that people have done things like testing sand colours and, you know, is this a nice clean sand? And there's been things like that done before, but have they done it to the scale that I can do it? Mm. So that's one question that I guess goes through my mind is how can I do it better than anybody else can? And how can I give it an angle that nobody else can think? That's usually how I go down. Do you have have anything in mind that you'd love to do if anyone gives you the chance? You don't need to give me the idea because that would be unfair. (laughs) Um, I'm like, how, yeah. how, big, how big is this going to go, Carrie? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, my dream client is to work with Pornhub. They do all sorts of mad stuff, and I would love to be part of that. But also, like, even down to John Lewis. So John Lewis, they have, you know, they spend millions on a Christmas ad. And I, I did a talk about this last week, and I said... I remember the year that they did the Christmas ad around the pianos and they had um, Elton John, etc. And I Googled pianos and I was like, did they even rank for the, the product that they're pushing? And they didn't at all. And I was thinking, okay, from a search perspective, this big ass creative Christmas campaign doesn't work. Um, it doesn't get links that re- much really. So that's my dream is how can I make the Christmas ad for John Lewis work for search? That's, that's my goal. But I'm trying to tie big creative advertising campaigns together to work online and that's the sort of brands that are coming to us for that so you know they do they have these big budgets and they do these big campaigns but how do we actually get it to work for seo because now seo have got a voice in, in on the board table etc so that that's how big i'm trying to get yeah i mean they could have dropped some little easter eggs into their piano yes. page or whatever it would have been beautiful ah nice yeah so what, what sort of way do you want to see this going like you're obviously talking about really integrating stuff and you know like i can will happily admit that i have at times made ideas for clients which weren't massively relevant you know we we're just doing it <laughs> to get links but we're all trying to get a bit more mature and savvier and kind of tick the right boxes these days so um, yeah. yeah that's obviously something you're really pushing yeah absolutely I think in the past I've done things that are irrelevant for links often so just because I know that it's a good story especially when it comes to things like gambling etc you have to come up with anything to just to get links mm. to those and um, like how else are you going to get links to gambling but it's something that I'm challenging myself is okay what how can we build more relevant content, more co- content that actually people will engage with um, links that people actually click on and um, that's my focus yeah nice nice so 
Yeah. Well, actually, you spoke to me a while back about we were talking about a couple of campaigns, and you were talking about doing research on social, like you research on Facebook, you research on Reddit. Is that like a cop? What? Let me. I'll dial it back a little bit. You're presented with a new brief. It's not one that you've conveniently had an idea in mind because you're obsessively coming up with ideas. <laughs> and let's say it's. I'm not talking about the massive team. It's. It's just you. Where do you start? Like, where do you go? I do start on social media. I start to understand how people engage with that brand and um, how they engage with the content that they share. What is the content that they share? A good example of that will probably be the game project that we did for the Christmas dinner. So they actually came to us um, with the idea themselves. They already had the Christmas dinner. It was something they did in 2013, but they wanted it goes viral every year for some reason. They don't push it at all since 2013, but it still goes viral. And they said, this time we want to get links. How can we get links from this campaign? So, you know, we came up with a big vegan and vegetarian option. But for me to actually understand how do we get this to work again, I had to go on to gaming communities. I went on to Reddit. I went on to um, forums um, and I understood what sort of um, things they share, etc. But one thing I learned specifically in that case, which is an interesting story. So I, I, I asked a few journalists and I looked on Reddit and I looked on forums and I was like, where do ju gaming journalists and tech journalists get their stories? So when the PS5 is rumored to come out, who do they hear that from? Does PlayStation kind of give them a tip off? Um, do they find that out through, you know, word of mouth? Like, where do you get your gossip from when it comes to game? And um, the, the gaming journalist said, do you know where we get all our news from? I was like, where? They said, Twitter. There was like Twitter and YouTubers. There was like, they're the ones first that know the rumors of new consoles or tech or, you know, the iPhone's coming out. I think the iPhone or something, something happened yesterday. But the first place journalists hear about it is on social media. So I was like, okay, so my current plan when it comes to promoting content is to hit national press. That's my, that's the first thing I do is to create a piece of content, promote it through getting links from national press. But what about if I flipped it on his head? What if I actually get my content shared on social, get it talked about on Reddit, get it talked about on forums? Because that's where the press is going to see it. So I did that for Game Christmas Tinner. Christmas Tinner, I rolled it out through forums. I rolled it out on Reddit, not because I wanted links from Reddit, because that's where I knew gaming journalists got their content and their stories. And then it just spread from there. So I focused more on the strategic promotion of targeting Twitter, targeting forums and all that sort of stuff um, to get links, but as a, as a secondary option, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's another kind of example of curiosity, your curiosity, just in a different context. You're like, how does this whole thing work? I want to know how the whole thing works and then how we can drop into it. And yeah, I'm like that with sort of everything. If I get into something, I get really into it and then I'm obsessed yeah. with it for a short while. Yeah. And that's an example of me. I'm not a gamer. Like I'm, I'm not massive into kind of like Xbox or PlayStation. It's not something that I'm into. But to understand it, I had to, I had to ask questions. Um mm. And that was that was something that I've learned for myself, and I found that it works in similar other like other industries as well, especially when it comes to maybe kind of like celebrity news. They mostly get theirs from social. Every celebrity mm. journalist gets all of their gossip from following all of the Instagrammers and all that sort of stuff. So we've done stuff with Misguided where we seed the story on Instagram to get links first, mm. if that makes sense. I remember, I remember, finally remember the other thing about the Santone piece. You you put a little bit of your your own budget into the the billboards, right? And I I like I know that say with the I think you mentioned with the game piece previously that you put a lot of your own sort of extra time into that. 
Yeah. I, mean, I did the same with some of the really early pieces at the still. Like we didn't have the budget to make that thing. Yeah. I just put my weekends into it. Now, yeah. I didn't want to promote, to, you know, I, and I'm training young people in this industry how to get good at this stuff. And I don't want to promote, you know, spend all your evenings and weekends. But it's like, if you genuinely want to get good at something, like surely you've got to put some time in. You know, I didn't study at university for this stuff. So I just see it as like, this is my education. I'm pouring some additional extra effort and time into it. And I've heard people say, oh, like, but I feel like I'm giving that time to the company for free. I'm like, no, you're investing in yourself. Like whatever you learn and get good at, you'll take with you. They'd love to keep it. Yeah, I think there's some for for advice on that. We do it quite a lot, but not a lot, a lot. So we only um, specifically give that extra time, budget and energy into ones that we think this is going to be worth it. Like, of course, we go above and beyond. And actually, from a business perspective, probably shouldn't admit this, but I don't mind. We do over service quite a lot. But from a new business point of view, being only a year old, the biggest thing is delivery. We have to deliver as an agency. So that's my number one kind of priority. I'm not necessarily, I'm looking to make money, but I'm also looking to just build a good customer base by delivering. But I think, yeah, putting that extra time is and, and budget, especially from, from my point of view, um, into game as an example, or into Park Dean, the Santone campaign. That for me was, I needed a good case study, mainly. Mm. I needed something to shout about. I listened to a podcast about Social Chain. So Social Chain, um, when they first started, they did a lot of this. They did a lot of big brand, big campaigns, made things go viral. They put their own effort and time into it. They spent their own budgets into it because they got a year's worth of case studies that are, you know, global, amazing, award-winning. And then year two, they just said, do you want that? And clients go, yeah, we want it. You go, pay for it. So for me, that's I took the same strategy. Sometimes you have to dig into your budgets and your profits and all that sort of stuff to kind of add more value to a campaign. But the long term, it, it's so much it's so much more worth it. Like now, game of um, one us we're working with Xbox and PlayStation now through game. So it for me as a business, it was hundred percent worth it doing that. Yeah, yeah, I think you hit upon the right point there. It was to gain case studies because once you got case studies, then you can yeah. get the attention, you can get the budget, you can get the time. For me, it was actually to gain case studies I guess internally at Distill yeah. like you know now I can do this and then also like clients see it they come to you and you're like cool okay well, that costs a bit more though and yeah. then you can build it up so I think yeah for for companies yeah case studies but also for individuals like if you want to get good at this if you want to grow in the team like you've got to put in a little bit of time yeah yeah, 100%. And that's that Santone campaign. That's something I've never done anything like before. I've never done a billboard. And for me, that was, I, I learned how to find billboards and put the billboards up and how long they go live for, how much it costs. That's something that I've, I never knew I needed that before. Mm. Um, but because I did it, now I know. Um, so it is more of a, if it works for me, then maybe I can do that 10 times. So it is a learning curve, um, 100%. And I think it's important to push boundaries, try something new. I, I do that all the time for myself. Hmm. You spoke a bit earlier on about the like constant source of inspiration. How did you do that? How did you do that initially when you're first setting out? And then how, how has that changed? How do you stay on top of things now? Yeah, sure. I guess when I, so before I started Rise, I worked at Edit. I actually was kind of the one person in the business that I had Google Alerts set up for everything. So if a if an agency won an award, I knew about it and I knew why they won an award because of a certain campaign. So I was, it was that curiosity. I had, I had alerts for everything. I was constantly researching so much that I started up digital PR examples because of it. I thought, you know, I had all this like amazing information of what everyone's up to. And I was like, 
right now it's time to share that let, let the world know what everyone else is up to as well um so that's where it started um and I guess now we through digital PR examples people are sending their campaigns to us and saying oh we've just launched this so we're like the first to know about stuff which is good but also I, I keep up to date with um, your work as well as um, content created. And I do the same as what you do. I take campaigns and I, I just take them apart in a, in a good way as in how did they come up with this or, you know, what's the data behind it, et cetera. So it, I think you have to have someone dedicated in the team that's doing that. I've dedicated two, I've dedicated two girls in my team. Um, they're the most curious, if that makes sense. I, I kind of chose them specifically. And I said, right, you two, it's, it's up to you to know everything that's going on, but also learn what the new trends are, learn what works and doesn't work, but then feed that back into the business as well. So I think allocating someone to do that is important. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about hiring. You've got to get the right people with the right characteristics initially. And I know, I, I know there was a little thing on Twitter about can you teach creativity, which is a big question that people do ask. But yeah. actually, I think it might boil down to like the curiosity and engagement because they're like, what is this thing? How does it work? What else could we do with it? And that, in a sense, is creativity, I think. Do you know what? I, I think if anybody talks about Mark Rose as an example, like I, I love the guy. He's one of the most curious people I've ever met. He he will con- he constantly asks me questions in from you know, oh, Kerry, so when you're in a client and you do a statement of work, what does that look like? And I'm like, he's just so interested about knowing everything part of the business, a part of everyone's role from SEO to content to design. Mm-hmm. He was so interested. The guy has done over 100 affiliate sites because he's he constantly learns new things. He's now selling Christmas trees. Um, his curiosity, it gets him where he is today and it allows him to be creative. Like the, mm-hmm. he's create, the creativity of, of his billboards and his ideas and stuff. But I think it honestly does boil down to how curious he is as a person mm. yeah i wonder if yeah if there's the curiosity of how how does this work but that technically could just be analytical right but if you also switch it to and what else could i do with this then suddenly you're in that creative realm yeah um, obviously i have a lot of thoughts on this but i'm constantly just kicking them around like you say nobody has a perfect answer on creativity and what works but and I think for processes as well, somebody asked me on a pitch the other day, you know, what's your process? And I, and I kind of thought to myself, shit, we don't have a process. We don't have a, you know, a, a written process on a slide that says this is how we do things. And I'm mm. thinking because every single time it changes. And also, I think if there was a certain way of doing things that's like, like perfect or, you know, the secret sauce or whatever, I just... I just think we'd all just be doing well if there was one. But I just think sometimes there isn't a process and sometimes it is gut, sometimes it's reaction, sometimes it's just, uh, it could be absolutely anything. So I, I, I actually don't like it when people say, oh, there is a certain way to do things or a certain way. And I'm like, there isn't. I honestly don't think there is. And the intro to a book called Game Storming, they have a nice way of talking about it. It's not like a chain like in a process, like a factory. It's like it's a series of spaces that you explore. Yeah. You know, so it's like, and you have to have the right size frame and then there's an exploration inside that frame and then you move to the next frame. And there's something nice about that, but obviously that means it isn't totally defined. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting one as well. You were saying about, you know, nobody has a perfect handle on what creativity or like what's going to work. But I think if you have, and so you can't have a checklist, right? And I've tried having a checklist and it sort of works, but it sort of doesn't. I think that comes down to any sort of checklist or any sort of framework is analytical, right? And yeah. but like, and, and you can justify it, but it's like, it does boil down to like, is this a motive? 
does this grab your curiosity? Does this grab you? Like before you've even thought yeah. about it. Does I used to like stand in the pub and casually, not without even looking at my mate, just mention what I was talking about to see if he responded, to see if he moved towards me and like what happened to his body. I didn't care what he said because he go, oh yeah, that's interesting. But that could be nonsense. But I look at his body and I see like, does he actually react to this? Does he get intrigued or is he, is he not interested at all? Yeah. You see this a lot on Twitter, but I, I, I've done it all my life, as in through my career, it, that mum test. My mum doesn't care about much. You know, she's just cracking on with her life. She she does her thing. So when I come to her and say, mum, I'm doing this thing of SEO, you know, she, she's like, what? What's that? What's SEO? So if I come up with an idea and I say, mum, I've done this idea, what do you think of it? And if I can raise her brows or catch her attention, then I know it's good. Whereas if I'm like, oh, I've got this idea and she carries on making tea or she carries on doing her thing, then I'm like, oh, she's not that bothered. Um, I'm, not, so, I'm not sure if that worked for me. Every time I say anything, she's <laughs> like, oh, uh-huh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some moms just love anything. You could you could do anything and they love it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I test it out on people for sure, um, whether that's friends or anything. Yeah, and I think, I think the framework stuff, I, I'm kind of torn on them i think they're useful like having a checklist is too extreme right but some kind of framework you know you said multiple hooks does it have multiple hooks does it have this does it have that i think those are useful when you know it's not working and it's just Mm -hmm. little guides as to where is it maybe not working but but you've still got to then somehow recapture that bit that grabs you as opposed to just analyzing it and dissecting it yeah there's one thing that yeah absolutely there's one thing that I've learned, especially in the last 12, uh, last 12 months, I found when I, so I have about 20 people in the PR team now, which is crazy. And I've kind of not split them up physically, but mentally in my head of there's people that can create stories and there's people that can promote stories. And there's certain people that I've hired in these roles. So we've recently hired a guy who is a script writer for the BBC. So he he's a he's a story creator. He can he can create stories that, you know, a thousand people are gonna love and a million people are gonna love. So he kind of comes up with a lot of the ideas, does a lot of the content writing, putting the story together, and then he'll pass it on to the promotion team. So the promotion teams are the ones that can there go, I can get there, anybody talking about this. They have to be involved because the promotion have to be involved in you know, if you're selling a story, you have to be involved from the start. But I have noticed that there is two different skill sets. There is a, a number of people in my team, though, that can do both. And I think they're mm. rare. They're rare. Yeah. You can get people that can create stories as well as promote them and know exactly. But there are some promoters that just can't create stories. And they know how to sell a story through anything. But in terms of boiling down to what is the hook? What is it that we're actually telling here? In a few words, stop overcomplicating things. Um, yeah, the, the, I think that's something I've learned, definitely. That's interesting. I'm definitely firmer in the other camp. Like, yeah, I'm no good at promoting my own stories. But that's really quite <laughs> insightful. You'd think if you could come up with them, then you should be able to sell it, right? But yeah. I mean, I can I can sell the idea on a pitch. But yeah. I think that the other form of content promotion, yeah, it's not my skill or strength at all. <laughs> How do you make sure those two people stay connected during the process? Because I know that sometimes that can cause an issue. Yeah, absolutely. So we have squads. So a squad would be on a client. So say game, they have a squad. And that squad has briefing meetings from the beginning. They sit and do all the briefs together. So the content, the story creator and the story promoter, they create all the briefs from design, content, 
to whatever it is, dev, they mm. actually, they're involved throughout the process. It takes some time, but one thing that we don't have here at um, Rise is we don't have account managers or project managers. We have one project manager, but she's more project managing the business. Whereas mm. the people that are creating the stories, they're the project managers. They're, okay. they're the, the campaign people. Um, so it means that we're spending less on kind of internal roles, but those people are more involved and making sure that their story actually comes into something. Mm. So yeah, squads is, is, is the answer for that one. What would a squad be made up of? How many people? What roles? No more than four. Any more than four gets too... You know, when you say, what's that saying? Like too many cooks. No more than four, but you always allocate a leader. So somebody that owns that, that owns that. So if something gets dropped off, maybe content's late or design gets pushed back or, you know, actually this weren't a strong story. The owner of that squad, it's their problem. And mm. they're usually more senior. So yeah, the squad is no more, no bigger than four people. And that's what, two creators, two promoters, or have you got other roles in there? Um, we usually have a digital strategist in there. So they're the ones that are saying, you know, what's actually right for the client. Often you have a creative wanting to do something fancy, but actually they're not, they don't think, well, is that what the client wants? What's the results? What, what are we looking for here? So the digital strategists are the ones that kind of, I, I call them the puppet masters. They're the ones that are pulling the strings. Um, and then we have your content creators. So that could be content writers. It could be videographers, designers, anything like that. People that create stories and then the promoters. So that could be social people. It could be PR. Um, so that's usually what is involved, mainly managed by a digital strategist and then creators and promoters yeah interesting like the the strategists and our planners as they were called which is a bit of a misnomer in advertising were originally brought in to be the voice of the consumer because like, if you think about mad men you'd have loads of account men or account people they were mostly men and mad men but let's say account people <laughs> and like roger sterling and they'd always just try to please the client yeah. And you've got Don and the creatives who just want to please themselves, essentially, and make really creative work. That's probably a bit unfair, but that was kind of the... And so the strategists were brought in to make sure, like, but is this what their customer or their audience actually cares about? And so you've got that dynamic pulling in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I can't think of anything else. I tell you, I would probably need to get you back on to chat about the, the promotion side of it. We haven't even touched on that, but this has been awesome. I will have no problem editing loads of good stuff oh, out of this. Is there anything you want to tell people, point them to? Just watch this space. You you don't have to look far to hear from you online. <laughs> yeah, no, just um, keep doing what you're doing as well and uh, watch this space, hopefully. All right. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, there are show notes over at contenthubble.com slash podcast. And if you do want to learn more about creating better content and coming up with content ideas, check out contenthubble.com. There's plenty of resources there that can help you do just that. All right. Speak to you soon.